Hello, Internet. And particularly uh, to those of you who are Bible nerds, you're going to have a field day today, buddy. Uh, or or how, what's the fem- feminine form of buddies? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know why uh, I said buddies. Ladies? Uh, ladies. <laughs> um, so, uh, first of all, I can, I can pronounce the name right. Uh, we're, we've got a guest named Tim Mackey, who is the head of the Bible Project. <laughs> He'll explain what that is. But this is uh, the third in a conversation we've been having about different takes on the Old Testament um, the depictions of God and how they reconcile or not with uh, with Jesus, mm-hmm. and uh, so I would encourage you to listen to this with uh, with the episode of Rob Bell in mind, with the episode of Greg Boyd in mind. Um, but this is uh, this is Bible nerd stuff. This is like this. He's a professor. So so Boyd is a pastor. Bell is an author and a heretic. Uh, well, yeah. Well, according to <laughs> everybody else, uh, and uh, and. Uh, uh, Mackie's a professor, so they yeah. answer differently. Uh, it's really, really fun, and so hope you enjoy it. Um, uh, it's about an hour long, but it's uh, there's some nuggets in there that I think are really, really good. Oh, so, yeah. so anyway, hope you enjoy. Yep, ladies and gentlemen, live from Portland, Oregon, or recorded from Portland, Oregon. This is <laughs> Timothy Mackie. What's your middle name, Tim? If if I could ask, Paul, Paul, Timothy, Paul, Mackie. Okay, so you were raised as a Christian, clearly. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, who, who's going to go uh, for two biblical names? And it should be Paul and Timothy. It should. It, they they reversed it. Yeah, a little yeah, bit right. like Priscilla Paul and Aquila. Paul is my dad's name. Paul Ross Mackey. Ross. Oh, Ross. Ross. Good... <laughs> yeah, Ross. Right. Well, there, the, now we're into the Civil War. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, so we are here with Timothy Paul Mackey. And um, if you don't know, um, this guy is uh, one of the contributors, founders of something called the Bible Project, which I tell you what, um, the name totally fits um, and is appropriate to the project, but it does not capture the genius, the creativity. Um, I, I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, tell us just a little bit about what it is and what you do and, and what the response has been like about that before we get into the other stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the Bible Project is, uh, at its base, it's a, it's a YouTube channel. <laughs> uh, it's one of the few uh, Bible-based YouTube channels um, <laughs> uh, out there on YouTube. Like, there's lots of kind of like very interesting, sure. more ex- extremist type of, but we're... I saw some good stuff on the Nephilim <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, get, on YouTube. I'm really so into the I trust that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love the conspiracy so, genre. So anyway, we're uh, we're a YouTube channel, uh, but here in Portland, we're a nonprofit animation studio that um, has at its core me and a friend who are Bible theology nerds and friends <laughs> from college, and um, we make videos. Trying to introduce people to the Bible as a work of literary genius and as a unified story that leads to Jesus, and learning to read the Bible as that one unified story and see each book as a work of art and oh my theology. Goodness. So there you go. Oh my Good goodness, stuff. Tim, you've offended <laughs> you've offended half our audience already. <laughs> literary literary genius, Tim. Yes. Are you sure about that? <laughs> what? Oh, dude. Read it. <laughs> I, I have, but you know, Mind here, it, but but in all, but in all sincerity, you know, yeah. we, we find 
that um, where previous generations held the Bible up as this, as exactly what you're saying, at least whether or not they even read it, they had reverence and respect for it. Yeah. Now there seems to be, the Bible seems to be a stumbling block to faith instead of a Mm -hmm. a strengthener of faith. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. So you got your work cut out for you. Yeah, no, those, I mean, those are the things uh, uh, that we're aware of and some of our key motivators, I think. Um, yeah, whether the obstacle is because the way people use and or abuse the Bible in right. the public square, right? That's that makes it an obstacle, especially yep. to non-religious people yeah. even being remotely interested. Yeah, and then just the fact that it's a from an ancient culture written in multiple different languages from millennia ago creates some obstacles. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Like I don't read any other books very often from that. You sure, know, I do. Time and place. Sure, yeah. I do. <laughs> so anyway, so I think there's many obstacles people have, um, and or you grow up within some kind of churchianity kind of tradition, and um, you are so the Bible is so domesticated that it's just boring because you think you actually know what it's about. Right. And so all of those form different types of obstacles, and uh, those are some of the things we're trying to help people overcome if, with the if, videos. If you were going to recommend one video as an introduction, um, I mean, I know it's like picking your favorite kid, but is there is there one yeah. that kind of <laughs> captures the essence of the whole project? Oh, well, you know, our first two, we put out one on the first chapters of Genesis. Okay. There's nothing controversial there. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but once we steered away from the controversy and just tried to show what a brilliant uh, statement Genesis 1 through 11 is about the nature of the world and the human condition. Oh, my goodness. And I, I'm really proud of that, first right. one. Right. And, also, and also, Heaven and Earth was our other video, which is trying to reframe yep. uh, our conceptions of heaven, which are actually really screwed up, modern Western conceptions of heaven, uh, and reframe it to the Bible's concept of heaven, uh, which is not a place where you go after you die. Surprisingly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I love anyway. that. So let's yeah. let's talk about a work of literary genius for a second. Let's let's kick off sure. with with maybe Rob Bell's least creative title of any of his books. <laughs> <laughs> what is the Bible? So yes. what how would you answer that question? Um it depends on if I'm in an elevator. Oh yes, oh, good yeah, question. Sure. You Ele- know, elevator I'm pitch in about the Bible. Seconds? Yep. And do I know this person? And is there relational trust? No, or no, I am. We have met or... in Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> and I find out that you're a seminary professor. And I yeah, say, sure. so, so what do you teach? And you're like, I teach the Bible. Well, what is the Bible? What would you yes. say? Yeah, um, I'd say the Bible is this unified library of literature that comes from the people of ancient Israel that all points to... Uh, the person of Jesus and how he is God's love and salvation and rescue for the world. And it's not what you think it is. Ooh. It's actually way better than you could ever imagine. Oh, 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 I've just <laughs> provocative. I've just put down my duvet cover and I've said, all right, so, so, so Tim, tell me more. What do you mean? It's not what I think it is. Cause when I, when I open the pages, yeah. 
um, you know, I see violence and I see, I see God commanding genocide and I see weird Levitical laws and I see all sorts of oppression of gay people and I see yeah. patriarchy and I see, I see all sorts of ugliness. So Jesus, yep, Jesus, awesome. But man, God doesn't look a lot like Jesus in the, in the Old Testament. How can you say the things a unified story? No, again, I, um, I've maybe yeah. projected yeah, well, onto the let's, Bed let's Bath & Beyond Dubai. Jesus is awesome piece. Because um, that's re- that's true, <laughs> and that still has a lot of cultural resonance. You know, yeah, the it thing. does. Mm-hmm. People are down for Jesus, not so much for the Bible or for for, for the church. Um, but so, what's going on with that? Like, let's talk about Jesus. Then, actually, uh, uh, here I'll I'll tell a bit of my personal story because why I actually think that's the right way to start that conversation with Bed Bath and Beyond person. So uh, I was raised in and around church. Our family attended church. Um, and I, I don't, I actually still don't know why, but I just grew to really despise it by, mm. I wasn't even a teenager yet. And so my parents, um, I remembered this, but they told me more of the backstory not long ago where I sat them down at 12 years old <laughs> with a list of why I didn't want to go to church and why wow. I thought Christianity is stupid. Yes. <laughs> at 12. And, like I, and so here's the thing. Here's the thing. This was one year after receiving my first skateboard for Christmas. So I oh, was, okay. Okay. And Dang. And I was all things like death metal and that was early garage. We're like the same guy. This is, that's what I'm learning right now. I love this. I absolutely love this. <laughs> at 12, I was thinking about making out with girls. So uh, you're, you're – and, and if girls well, were at church, I, I will go at church. I kickflips and, and why religious people are stupid. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. So – Anyhow, most of my teen years, you know, I just, my, my parents picked their battles and they would make me go to church on holidays and special occasions, but Got they it. didn't force me. Um, what was so, on that list? Do you remember? What's that? Do you, do you remember anything from that list? Oh, well, I, yeah, yeah. I remember we had um, uh, a neighbor uh, who's was a single mom and she had a little daughter and she was friends. She oh, what are her friends? She was a neighbor. She was a lesbian, and so I didn't understand this conflict that I could see going on between. Like what yep. I could see, she didn't like my parents. My parents felt nervous about her, and I just didn't get it. Yeah. And that's all I knew. Wow. That's all I knew. Wow. <laughs> but I just thought that was so weird. Yeah. And somehow, my parents are religious, and it's causing this conflict with this awesome person. Oh, that's stupid. Right. Like. Like it was really, it was pretty primal. This wasn't an intellectual move on my part. No, but I think, but 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 at at twelve years old, you didn't know you were tapping into an entire ethos that was about to hit American culture. (laughs) This was the late eighties at that point. Yeah, um, yeah, and and um, the it was a um, in in it was a classic Pentecostal like um, receive the Holy Spirit for salvation and second blessing type of tradition, uh, church that, yeah. that our family had been going to. And so there were some pretty intense things happening <laughs> at church. <laughs> and I just wasn't comfortable and it didn't seem normal to me. And so that was another main factor. So anyway. Wow. Was wow. it the shofar uh, mainly? or <laughs> Flags? <laughs> was it the shofar usage uh, mainly? or? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've come to realize that I – held a grudge and had some really deep, selfish, prideful misunderstandings that I've had to own up to and um, get over. So actually, I don't have as 
negative of you anymore as I did as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, uh, so all that to say is uh, the Bible was a foreign book to me. You know, there's like the rainbow and the flood and stuff like that. But I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything. So what, sorry, this is all a long backstory. No, no, this um, is good. When I, when, uh, so I was immersed in Portland skateboard culture. And there was uh, one skateboard park in Portland that was owned and operated by a church, a local church. Huh. And um, it was open multiple nights a week. And the deal, it was awesome skate park. But the deal was to skate there. You had uh, at 8.30 p.m., they would shut off the lights, and you had to sit through a talk about Jesus for like 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> and if you wanted to skate the second half of the night, you had to sit through the talk. That All was right. their deal. Wow. And so it was like a deal. It's a great skate park. We'll suffer through the Jesus talk. And, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. So I went, I went every Tuesday night for, from 16 to 19 years old. And, you know, it's just stories about Jesus weekly just begin to do something to me. And I just, I, um, the phrase I've come to describe the experience was I came to a point out of high school, 19, and Jesus became this unavoidable person to me. Yeah. Um, and it had nothing to do with my parents or church. It was just Jesus. And I, these things that he would say that would stick with me and these ways that he would treat the people that I make fun of are yeah. the people that Jesus liked is awesome to. And so that was my reintroduction or introduction to like Jesus style Christianity. And, yeah. and so I just fell in love with Jesus and um, began to just, re so my first time actually reading the Bible for myself is reading the stories and teachings of Jesus. And the guy who ran that skate park was a total Bible nerd. And he became my first, I didn't know it at the time, but my first, first like mentor. Yeah. And so he um, taught me how to read and appreciate more of the Bible than just the Jesus stories. And so that, that my introduction to the Bible was through Jesus. And I've now come to be so thankful for that. Right. Because yeah. I know that's not actually the experience of many, many people. Uh, for many people, Jesus is just a part of the Bible. Yeah. Um, and it's the part you get to after you get through all the most difficult stuff. You know? <laughs> and, um, but I realize now what I was me being introduced to the Bible and to read it through the lens of the stories and teachings of Jesus. And I'm just grateful because I think that I think actually historically that's how the Bible has been viewed in the historic Orthodox Christian tradition. Um, and if you think about a random person, one of Paul's converts in the church in Corinth or Galatia, that's certainly how things went down for them. Yeah. You know, they were yep. introduced to Jesus, the stories and teachings of Jesus, and then you get the whole story around him that makes him even more awesome than you already thought he was in the first place. So that's just my personal, that's my story. Yeah. Jesus is beautiful. And therefore, I've been, I was taught how to read the Bible as a unified whole a beautiful literary unified whole that all illuminates Jesus. Okay. And so there you go. That's just my experience of the Bible. And so I don't actually know when people describe the oppressive Bible or the Bible that's like horrifying. And I mean, I trust me, there are horrifying parts of the Bible that I've had to wrestle with, but I don't, I don't, that's not the Bible I know. It's kind of like a good friend 
that you have and you hear somebody else's experience with that person, you're like, what? That's not the person I know. Right. And that's kind of been my dream, you know, with so much of this um, post-evangelical or post-church skepticism and anger at the Bible. I'm trying to understand it, but I actually don't resonate with it on a deep level because the Bible that I know is is just beautiful and amazing. And that's what we're trying to share in the Bible Project. Oh, got it. So, so when you, and I love that we've talked about, you know, Jesus is the, you don't, you don't trust the Bible and then get to Jesus. It's kind of like the reverse, you know, you you trust Jesus and Jesus had a view of the Bible that you want to adopt. Um, yeah. uh, but when you get to some of the, so let's say you come in, in, in through Jesus and you get to some of the stuff in the old Testament mm-hmm. that just seems so foreign Mm-hmm. Um, and seems to feed the, well, God is mm-hmm. one way in the Old Testament, different way in the New Testament, or just the, how could God <laughs> command this sort of ugliness? Yeah. Um, yeah. How, what was, what was your journey with that? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, it was a significant one. I, I mean, I realize now, um, yeah, the issue, especially of violence, divine violence. Yep. yep. In the first three quarters of the Bible, <laughs> um, <laughs> It, uh, yeah, was noticeable to me, like right from the first, because right. my my like bedrock is the Jesus stories. So uh, there was already like a glitch in the system for me, and so yeah, I've just I've read and thought about it a ton. Um, I'm really grateful for um, the recent contribution of Greg Boyd. Um, it was one of those experiences, you know. I think many people have this when reading C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Where you read him and he's like, oh, he has a way of articulating a gut feeling or a direction yep. that you have. And then he gives you the language for it. And um, I'm so grateful to Greg Boyd for this mega contribution. Because <laughs> it's, uh, it's helping me put uh, some language to things that I've been feeling or thinking or working out independently. And it's like, oh, I'm not crazy. Like, he, okay. I, uh, so that's been really great. So... There's two layers to it. One is mm. the ancient cultural context of the story of Israel. So what God, what the story of the Bible is, is God has married himself to a specific group of people through history. Yep. And that, that group of people becomes the vehicle of his plan of rescue and blessing for the rest of the world. It's very strange to us modern Westerners. We would prefer that God be like the UN and parachute down little relief packets of salvation <laughs> to everybody. You know what I mean? like, that's a great that analogy. But that's not how the God that's not how the God of the Jesus story works. He works through people. And so when God married the family of Abraham, covenant, made a covenant with them, he he signed himself up for all kinds of heartbreak and all kinds of compromising situations. Hmm. Um and um, my, I didn't. This really clicked for me actually after a couple of years in local church leadership, where <laughs> it's like you know you end up. But actually, anybody who's been in a leadership position, right? I'm committed to this group or this cause or this vision, and you end up in situations where there's no good options. Right. There's only the bad option and the worst option. Yeah. And so, you know what I mean? What do you do? And so I guess I could bail. I, I could just leave the, the job and the responsibility altogether, or you work with what's in front of you. Yeah. And so, um, 
Um, I, that's for me. That's a category that helped me um, at least work through a lot of the divine violence. Meaning, um, meaning, was he commanding it, or was it was he just reflecting the Israelites' desire for you know uh, ancient Near Eastern king or uh, yeah? You know, okay, flesh so that's that out a good just example. Like, yeah, yeah, that's a good example. So the king. Um, uh, and again, Boyd uses these examples, but I remember noticing them, and Jesus even acknowledges them. Actually, let's start with marriage, for example. Yeah, like yeah. the ideal on page one, you know, right. is a male and a female lifetime covenant monogamous deal. And then on page four is a guy who has two wives. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the story doesn't criticize him, no. right? Explicitly, biblical narrative doesn't work like that. It just tells you, here's the ideal, and here's a story about a guy who didn't um, live the ideal, and who's he? He's a murderer and a jerk. That's who he is. Yeah. So the the narrative gives you its own judgment on him as a person through letting you watch his life and behavior. And so, and then polygamy all the way through. Right. All the most famous Bible characters. All polygamous, of them. All of them. And it says you would be forgiven for thinking that God is pro polygamy. Right. If you hadn't read page one. <laughs> yep. And so. The moment God marries himself to a group of people and working with them in a culture of polygamy, then he works with it. And he chooses not to make that the battle, just like my parents chose not to make going to church the battle. (laughs) They wanted to preserve the relationship so that through time there could be a more powerful form of influence. So I think we just have to reconcile God's comfortable with working through long spanses of time (laughs) and through flawed people and even accommodating to their flaws. So that's one layer. Okay. And there you can get into the ancient cultural background of ritual holy war and whatever. There's lots of different things there. But um, what I've always still wrestled with is, okay, but so like the Canaanites is a good one. So right. um, God wanted to bring these people into the land. They didn't actually end up killing or dispossessing most of the Canaanites anyway. Right, right. <laughs> but, they did, but they did to some as the narrative goes. And so the question was, was that the perfect expression of God's will? And if I look at the God revealed in those narratives, and I look at the God revealed in the stories of Jesus and ultimately in the cross, I, there's a, clearly a disconnect right there. Yep. And so um, where I've been at is for the authors of the New Testament and the apostles, their base definition for who God is, is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then what they do is appeal to the first three quarters of the Bible as illuminating the God that we encountered in the person of Jesus. And they're not pit against each other. One's not more important than each other. They are seen as complementary, but but the baseline is the God revealed in the cross and the resurrection. But wouldn't Boyd, and if so, I could if I could interrupt you for a second. It, Central to Boyd's work is the idea that, no, no, the revelation of Jesus trumps all the other revelations. Yes. Um, yeah, so, so this is one area where I'm still working it out. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm only like, I've perused the whole 1,400 pages. I'm only <laughs> like 500 in. Because my, then I have a day job, too. <laughs> but uh, making cartoons, for Bible cartoons for the internet. So... Um, uh, I, I have a hunch growing, um, and I, I agree with Boyd in that the Jesus cross-centered God of love revealed is the baseline. Um, and so he has a whole chapter on 
what he calls theological interpretation of scripture right. or a Christocentric reading of the Old Testament. And I, I've been immersed in Second Temple Judaism and the final stages of the formation of the Hebrew Bible for mm. years and years now. Yep. To me, that's where the action is. Because it's the cradle <laughs> of the early Jesus movement. It's the it's the or the seedbed. Bible Bible and, nerding right now right mm-hmm. now Bible nerding yeah. that was awesome. So, so, yeah, totally. So uh, I actually think that what's happening is not so much Jesus followers going and rereading the Old Testament and finding something that wasn't quite fully there. Like he has a whole thing on on the, uh, a surplus of meaning. Right. The, the Old Testament authors didn't quite know fully, and, and I agree with that. But I, I think they knew a lot more than, as I understand it so far, Boyd's approach might admit. In other words, I think you walk away from reading the Hebrew Bible pre in two in 150 BC, uh, a Jewish Bible nerd living in the Dead Sea Scroll community was had a category in their mind for a suffering servant king who's going to die for the sins of the world and conquer the snake and crush it and bring a new creation like that's you just read the hebrew bible yeah and that's there yeah and so in other words within the hebrew bible itself you already have authors who are reframing divine violence the way the new testament does in light of the cross okay and so um who's who are, who are the real enemies in the old testament and a surface reading is, well, it's the Canaanites, right? It's right. Ethno- it's racism, right? Right. But read again, and read again, and read again, and read again. Like Psalm 1 says, uh, the, the Hebrew Bible is meant to be read. And you realize, like, the real enemy isn't flesh and blood. It's a, exactly. it's a mysterious, mysterious form of evil that is other than human, but that also has been embraced fully by humans, and we can't blame anybody but ourselves. Hmm. And that that's the thing that God's going to chop up with the sword, Isaiah 27, 1, right. <laughs> the dragon. Yep. And it's a form of evil that has so fully enmeshed with humans on a personal level and a systemic corporate political level. Yeah. That when God defeats evil, he will be bringing down the kingdoms of this world. Yeah. It's the book of Revelation. But the book of Revelation is an author saturated in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. And so here's my point. I actually think you already have... Um, the direction Boyd's going, I think that he says the New Testament authors are going, I think the path was well laid already 150 years okay. before the New Testament came into existence. And that Jesus is living out that story. And so um, uh, the, other, the other piece that I really find helpful with Boyd and that I'm really thinking about is uh, he calls it the masks. Yes. That and this would be that these narratives that depict God commanding the ritual slaughter of children and women in holy war, that this is God stooping or accommodating That's right. to sinful human cultural practices, just like God stooped and accommodated to the sin of Roman execution and allowing it to um, affect how he appears to us. Yes. And so that's, for me, that's the one key thing that I'm I'm wrestling with and I'm I need to, I just need another six months. And... <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I'm on board with like a, a lot of where he's going. Yeah. And uh, it's been very helpful for me. I'm sorry. I, I have a habit of talking too long when I get excited. But I'll, tr- I'll try and summarize this. And I, I think he's right. And I realize it's a deep conviction of mine too. 
I actually think the God revealed in the Bible is beautiful, like actually beautiful. And, and I, I realized that part of what is a hang-up for most people is that they, actually, they, they are down for Jesus, but whether it's the church or the God in other parts of the Bible, they have this lingering doubt yeah. that it's too good to be true, that God actually isn't that way. Um, and, and so I think for me that's a root issue where I actually have my own doubts about God's existence on many days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we all, different people are plagued by different doubts, and so I struggle with my own list. But even on the days when I have doubts about God's existence, I want this God to exist. Yeah. Like, this is the God that I want to be real and true. And on the days that, that I have the gift of faith from God's grace, that's the God that I meet in yeah. prayer and in my church community and in the faces of the poor people around my neighborhood and in the scriptures. And so I think that's a rude issue here is, do we actually think the God revealed in the Bible is beautiful? And, and I think that's where a lot of the front edge of the conversation yep. is. It, right. it gets masked with politics or, you know, apologetic topics. But I think deep down, personally, that's the issue most of us, you know, are really working through. If your answers um, sucked, then, yeah, talking long would be a problem. But, <laughs> but it's not. So you're good. Um, no, I absolutely love it, bro. I, I, I've got some... Um, I've got some questions that I think, and the reason I, I want to read these is we get we got bum, we get bombarded with sure. with folks asking stuff, and yeah. um, and so we're constantly because we think there's beauty in allowing the questions mm -hmm. to be aired. Um, yeah. So many yeah. of us grew up in a stifling sort of intellectual environment where we were not allowed to bring these issues, mm. or even have the you know one of the heads of the Bible Project say, "Hey, there are days on my list." It's more of a con than a pro. I mean, that's, you know, that's a beautiful <laughs> yeah, thing because yeah. I think that, yes, yeah. that, absolutely. As mm -hmm. the world globalizes, we're in touch with things mm -hmm. we've never mm -hmm. been in touch with before. That we have to, we, our faith either has to get bigger mm -hmm. and our God has to get bigger or, mm -hmm. or we just shut it down. And so, so I love, yep. Yep. I just love it. So is that okay if I throw some questions your way that have been written in? Deal. Yeah, sure. Deal. I may not have answers, but I have always have a response. <laughs> well, the first one, well, I mean, I guarantee you've you've thought of Ananias and Sapphira, which is um, in, in yep. the so yeah, so yeah. here's you know if we believe yep. one that God is love and His expression for us is loving, and that love yep. your enemy is a target goal for us and it is achieved by God, and that the old Old Testament yep. is a shadow of the reality of the New Testament, and lastly that we're all in process for some better mm -hmm. and for some worse. Then what in the world happened to Ananias and Sapphira? It, when they, we know they lied, but in some small way did they not participate in the kingdom? They sold a portion of their land and gave a portion of the money, not everything. Uh, and the God of the New Testament did not like that and took them out. Any yep. clarity on this? Yeah. Well, first, <laughs> just to say, I know. <laughs> uh, like, that's one's a whopper. That's and a actually, whopper. that one, there's one other text to me that's the companion to that one and it's Paul's warning to the Corinthians in his first letter in chapter um, 10 and 11 about falling asleep where a number of yeah a number yeah. of wealthy uh, members of the church were getting drunk early off the communion meal 
and then shaming the poor people, poor Christians, when they came in. And Paul's like, dude, bad idea. Yeah. Shaming the poor in the name of Jesus. Don't do it. Isn't this why some of you have died recently? Right. <laughs> Falling asleep? And you're just like, oh my gosh, what? Yeah. I think you just said that. Right. So the, to me, those are two. Hmm. So in one sense, the both of those narratives are following the same trajectory of a very common um, motif that occurs in the Torah and the prophets of the Hebrew Bible, um, that when God calls covenant partners to account, and when they've participated in his mercy and generosity, they are called to a high, high degree of accountability. Hmm. And, and there are uh, moments in the story when God will deal severely with people who, who are held to that high degree of accountability. And it seems to me that's what's going on. Um, and that God will, in these stories, take their lives. Right. <laughs> um, so let's think, about, let's think about what happened. What happened is Ananias and Sapphira um, died in this local church community. Uh, well, uh, this is a bit of holy speculation, but it's, it seems to me it's what Paul's doing, because Paul asked that as a question. Yeah. Isn't this the case? Couldn't this be the case? Right. And so it seems to me that Paul wants us to at least have in our imaginations that there are moments when God will deal very severely in love with people that he holds to a high degree of accountability. How's that in love? And, well, th- to kill them? Yeah. To kill them. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, don't, I don't have, at this moment, a compelling answer to that question. Okay. <laughs> All right. Because I agree with you. This seems super intense. Yeah. And for me, those are, two, but they're also two examples that prove the greater, that prove a greater rule, but mm. they are two outstanding examples. Um, so how is that? You're right, because I, you know, that we all have a category of tough love. Right. Like my, if I have a 19-year-old son and he becomes a drug addict and I can't let him in the house anymore, I have to turn him out. I can't give him money. I can't let him call me because, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. So um, there. Uh, where I want to fit Ananias and Sapphira is in that category. Right. But then what it forces me to do is to say there are moments where it's God's prerogative to take the life of one of his people. Right. And that's so intense. I'm not comfortable saying that, but it's not me saying it. It's these narratives and Paul saying right. it. So, uh, but I just, I have to wrestle with that. I don't know any other way around it. What do you think of the normal of, way of God, God relates to people? Right, right. <laughs> the point is, these are very rare exceptions, but they are real, you know. Anyway, what do you think of what do you think of Boyd's? And I don't know if you've gotten there in the book yet. Um, Boyd's suggestion mm-hmm. that it wasn't God; it was Peter. That that Peter had been given oh, the keys okay. to binding and loosing. Paul had been giving mm-hmm. the keys to binding and loosing, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. the apostles held that sort of authority. Um, yep. and that, that, that wasn't God, that wasn't God doing that. That was literally Peter yeah. doing that. Is that, yeah, I haven't gotten there yet, but I remember looking at that chapter. Yeah. Is, is he called it when divine power gets misused? He also has the story of Elisha. Yes. Sticking bears. On the bears. The, the... That's right. Yeah, got it. Yeah. To be, uh, to be honest, I just, I have. There's too many things to think about in a day. That one's six months down the yeah. line. No, I, I mean, like I'm that. sorry. I, <laughs> no, don't I, be. I care about that question 
I just haven't had time to get there yet. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Listen, I don't know is a really appropriate answer to some of these. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. and that's where what Boyd will say and where I'm tempted to agree is that the revelation of God in those stories is only partial. The only full mm. revelation of God we get is in, in Christ, right? The exact representation of his being. So you're getting yeah. you're getting bits of 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 yeah. truth and and yeah. revelation but you're not getting the full picture so so let me because i haven't read the chapter it's boyd's position that this narrative is depicting peter as a um just as a human vessel of a power that's that's actually almost like too great for him yeah and so there are moments when he'll overstep his bounds yeah do something yeah that um doesn't align with God's will, ultimate will and purpose as revealed in Jesus. Absolutely. You see it with Moses striking the yeah. rock. You see it. Yes, yes, yes. You see got it, it you it. see it with um, with the disciples call, wanting to call down fire on the Samaritans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, hey, we've got this, we've yeah, got but, this power. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got it. I understand. But they weren't able to call down fire. Yeah. But, but Elijah called down fire. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, I need to, I need to think that one no, through. No, no worries. I was, I, bro, yeah. I, I, um, I'm, I'm punning these questions to you. So, yeah. so. You know it, that story about Jacob wrestling the man in the middle yes, of the night? Yes. That's it. That's like, that's Christian faith right there. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 and see for me, I, I don't know if it's for you, for me in some backward, weird way. Be mm. It's it's partially because it's so messy that I trust it. Yeah, that, sure. That yes, yeah, I hear that. That yeah. that because it's just it's 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 so reflective mm. of the guts and the blood of human life in all of its yes. beauty and all of its tragedy. Yeah. I just go ah, there's something here. Yeah. There's just something yeah. here. Or or flip that over and and you could say it the other way. You can say if my view of the world is so perfectly attuned to my preferences and yeah. my cultural worldview. Right. You know, if like, if that, my view of the universe is so per worked out that I'm not uncomfortable. <laughs> right. <laughs> then like, I'm, I'm probably really blind to some really important thing. Yeah. Right. So I think that is engaging the biblical tradition, the Jesus story and the biblical tradition. You're not signing yourself up for ease. <laughs> right, right. Or for comfort, but you are signing yourself up for something profound, and that is going to require a lifetime of wrestling, right, mm -hmm. and reflection, and and living. Mm -hmm. And I agree. To me, that's what's so engaging and compelling about it. And you know, we're just—I'm just one human. You know, I can't—I can't—I can't claim uh, to have made that judgment about every other possible worldview you know, out there. <laughs> but um, I, the more I go on in life, the more I feel like it's a gift that I've been given this story to be a part of and to wrestle with and see the world through. Absolutely. I, I want it, I actually want it to be true. <laughs> Even yep. on the days when I'm not sure it is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, beautiful. Thank you. Question two, I would love to hear more talk on the idea of um, scriptural inspiration. Yeah. Growing up, I was taught the entire Bible was 100% from God, speaking to us through human offers. But as I mature, I find this very hard to maintain, just mm. based on the text itself. I've stopped looking at the Bible as a cohesive whole, which is mm. one of your points, is that it is. 
Yeah. Um, but taking each book as its own entity with its own level of inspiration. For instance, I'm completely willing mm. to accept that books like Ezekiel and Revelation are directly inspired because that's what they claim to be. Mm. In mm. contrast, I, I have no uh, reason to see any exceptional level of inspiration in the Gospel of Luke, in which Luke specifically mm. says, this is a record I gathered from eyewitness testimonies, as opposed yeah. to the Holy Spirit came upon me and compelled me to write this down. Mm. Um, the clearest example, this is a great question, that's why I'm I'm taking this is a wonderful question. Yeah, uh, the yeah, clearest no, example yeah. seems to be in the epistles where Paul seems to explicitly say, Hey, this is me talking, not God. <laughs> mm-hmm. When I bring mm-hmm. this topic up to most long term Christians, I immediately see their defenses go up and they treat me as if I'm doing something profane by even calling mm. this in the question. Um, so mm. I end up discussing this issue with other discontent millennials who have no better answers than <laughs> I do. <laughs> so so I, mm-hmm. I, I think that is one of the best yep. questions I've ever received. Um, yeah. That's um, that's so, great. so you want to take a, cr- a couple of shots at yes, different no, points of that? I, I do actually. I, um, I think I've thought about this question a lot because I've been asked it from so many people in my own church community. Right. <laughs> and two, um, I actually think this is a root nerve issue yeah. in the whole conversation about the Bible happening right now. Hmm. Um, and I, um, so it's a wonderful question, and I, I don't. I actually think you have to ask it to get through to the next level of understanding what the Bible is. Ooh. Until you, you wrestle with that question, hmm. you won't actually have wrestled with the man in the middle of the night <laughs> yeah. as to what the Bible actually is. So I, I applaud the person asking that question. So there's, but think there's a deep level assumption underneath. I'm not critiquing the question. I'm just pointing out something. That that reflects someone who's brought up in a church culture where for, for God to speak through a written text or for God to speak at all means that it must have minimal human involvement or little to no human involvement. Got it. Um, in other words, so what they're saying, it's a model of inspiration. I call it the golden tablets falling from heaven view of the Bible. Right. Um, or some people call it the, uh, the dictation view of inspiration. Namely, is that the humans engaged in producing the Bible were like zapped in these Holy Spirit trances and just, you know, like they yeah. just wake up. And, and there are narratives within the Bible of some people having experiences that took them to another world and, you know, blew their categories. But is that the only way that we should think about God speaking through people? Because how, where am I being told those narratives about people having Holy Spirit trances? In a literary text. Right. Right. <laughs> right? right. So even the book of Ezekiel doesn't quite prove the exception for that question, because the book of Ezekiel was a very intentionally crafted literary work um, that certainly wasn't just scribbled down you know, in, a, in the middle of the night vision. Uh, years and years of thought went into the crafting of the book of Ezekiel. So, so this is a question for the whole Bible. So the root issue is, um, if the Bible is, I'm going to say, mediates God's word to me, does it have to have minimal or little or no human involvement? And I've, it's my conviction that that is just a deep, deep um, misunderstanding of, of the whole concept of God in the biblical story. And the way that God works in history and speaks into the lives of the people in history. And actually, there's a perfect parallel to this uh, in the history of how Christians have wrestled with the identity of Jesus 
as a human and as divine. Right. And different mo- different points in church history, um, either Jesus' divinity or Jesus' humanity has gotten elevated one above the other, or just that they're to the exclusion of the other. If he's fully divine, he can't actually be fully human. If he's actually human, well, he's not truly divine. And the, the paradox that Jesus presented to people is, is that both of those are somehow true at the same time. Right. <laughs> it's through a fully human Jesus who pooped his diapers and spoke Aramaic and probably had to learn Greek as a second language and, you know what I'm saying, yep. and, and like spoke into the political, cultural context of his day. That Jesus is, so the apostles claim, is uh, the full revelation of the creator God of Israel in, embodied in, in, in humanity. And that those two can only be true together, fully. And I think the same goes for the Bible. And so what we're being asked to believe about the Bible isn't that it fell from heaven, or isn't that it somehow came into existence through a magical process. Right. Like a, a lot of apologetic energy gets spent trying to defend a magical view of the origins of the Bible. And by magical, I just mean with no human agency, yeah. or little, very little human agency. And that just isn't true to the facts on the ground. Um, the moment I met the Septuagint and the Dead Sea Scrolls, I was just immersed. Because that's the, I had this falling from heaven tablets view of the Bible right. in my first years <laughs> as a skate park Christian, skateboarding Christian. And then I got introduced to the textual history of the Bible. And I was like, oh, that doesn't work. Explain what the Septuagint is for people. Oh, th- I'm so sorry. The Septuagint is a translation of the Hebrew Bible made into the Greek language uh, in a couple centuries before Jesus. Right. And that's the and one quoted by most of, by Paul. It, it's very often the Bible quoted, and it became the majority Bible used in the, in the early Christian movement. And, yeah. and the, 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 the Bible, the Hebrew Bible that those Jewish translators had in front of them when they translated the Bible was a different textual form of the Bible than the textual form of the Bible that underlies our English translations. Oh my goodness. Which is why, here's how I was first introduced to this, was I was taught, hey, whenever you see Jesus or Paul quoting from the first three quarters of the Bible, go look it up. It'll be helpful and interesting. And so I started doing that. And what I noticed was <laughs> the wording's totally different. Right. Like when Jesus quotes from Isaiah, and I turn back to Isaiah here, the wording's totally different. What's up with that? And then I learned about this thing called the Septuagint. And then I learned about the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then it was over. It was just game over. I was, I was hooked. <laughs> so the textual history of the Bible is a very complicated history because of human agency. Hmm. And so I'm not being asked, I don't think, to entertain a magical view of the Bible. What I'm being asked to, to trust is that through these human texts, God is both overseeing those processes and through the end result, God speaks to his people through these human texts, just like God spoke, God spoke to us in, in and through the human Jesus. And, and there's a much deeper dualism or, or division there between our view of the world. If God is involved, humans aren't involved. If it's right. human, then it's not God's involvement. And go back to page one of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God who wants to share and partner with humans in the future of the universe. And God wants to rule the world and work in the world through humans. That's the whole plot line of the setup of the Bible on page one, the yeah. image of God. Yeah. And so 
the Bible is another expression of the image of God, so a human image of God, so to speak. Yeah. And so to when Paul says, uh, it's me speaking, not the Lord, what he's talking about is Jesus didn't address the specific issue on divorce. But he says, I too have the Spirit. And so um, the apostles are this group of people that Jesus commissioned as his deputies to speak on his behalf. Yeah. And he gave them the gift and wisdom of his presence as they wrote these texts. So that what they said is what Jesus wants his people to hear. That's at least what inspiration, I think, means. And it doesn't cancel out the human uh, agency. And it, it makes it the vehicle of God speaking to his people. And so once I was able to get there, all of a sudden, the complicated human history of the Bible became this beautiful man that I have to wrestle in the middle of the night right. uh, and engage with, you know, and, uh, and I've come to appreciate it and love it because once again, if somebody comes into your town claiming to have a set of golden tablets falling from heaven, be suspicious because right. they're going to ask for your credit card number and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're going to do all kinds of, I'm, I'm very suspicious once uh, somebody claims that and that's not what the bible is it's right. just totally some uh, a different category so a lot of the a lot of this textual stuff though and its complexity gives folks like bart uh airman and pete ends tons of fodder yes. um to raise sure. questions some are really good some not so i've got our last question is about pete um and pete pete's a great guy um uh, but yeah, he says, I, I really, his, well, his early book about yeah. inspiration and inclination was actually, for me, that was so helpful. Yeah. That was such a gift that he gave me. Yep. Yeah. So cheers. Cheers to Pete. That was very helpful. So he says, I really like Pete ends. However, I'm puzzled by his view. He seems to hold the view that the old Testament amounts to nothing more than human accounts expressing diverse and contradictory views mm -hmm. and experiences of God. He favors this view for several reasons, one being that it, it shows that God meets us in our ignorance. Assuming I have this right and that ends is correct, why think that when we read the Bible, we are encountering the real God if there is one? Uh, further, what importance does the Bible have anymore if that's true, if it's just a reflection of the cultural mm -hmm. understandings of the Israelites? Um, mm -hmm. It seems to become nothing more than an inter interesting sociocultural study. Also, mm -hmm. if one rejects inerrancy, does this lead to Enz's view? So, so I mean, first mm -hmm. of all, mm -hmm. the intelligence mm -hmm. of the Vox listener <laughs> is outstanding. Because I think these are yeah. phenomenal questions. But, but I, think yeah. that, I think your answer leads directly into that follow-up. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yes, okay. So, um, yeah, and I, I'm familiar enough with Pete Enz's... Uh, more scholarly work to kind of know where he's coming from and he and I are both big nerds on <laughs> the final stages of the formation of the the Old Testament within the Jewish context uh, because that was it was a textually immersed culture and the Hebrew Bible um, wasn't the static thing dropped from heaven uh, and then it just sat there un untouched. It was, it was a text that came into existence through many generations, just like a quilt, like a multi-generational quilt from your grandma and your great, actually we have one of these in our home. It's from my uh, wife's grandma made of pieces from her, her grandma's grandma. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow. And so, and so I, I use this as an illustration all the time for the Old Testament, is that we have 
material in here from many different generations, but it has been given a final shape, the final sewing, right, yep. is from uh, Jessica's grandma. And that, and, and that final sewing was both her grandma looking at the materials passed on to her, studying them, right, honoring them, right. and also reframing them in a new context as one unified whole. And so um, I, w what we see is that that process of reframing actually never stopped. Mm. Like the quilt kept growing in the Jewish tradition, and it grew into hundreds and hundreds of even more texts in the Jewish tradition. Yeah. Um, but there was some, there was something called, there was some conception of the Bible that Jesus had in his mind, because um, he talked about the scriptures as some, as a thing, right? As the thing you can read and know. Right. And so as a follower of Jesus, what I'm after is the, the, the Bible that Jesus read in which he discovered himself, his identity, his calling and his vocation to do what he did. That's the Bible that I'm after. Hmm. And so can we, can we recover that Bible from amidst all the textual evidence? <laughs> right. And so on. Like, I think with, with uh, a, deg a uh, what do you say, a reasonable degree of confidence, <laughs> yes. Certainty, let's go to Pete Enns' most recent book, The Myth right. of Certainty, right? Right, right? So with certainty, no, of course not. How can you be certain about anything? Right. Except maybe two plus two. You right. Know what I mean? <laughs> that's not even real. That's just, you know, that's theory. But I think it's true theory. But so when it comes to history, we can't talk about certainty. We can talk about probability. And so um, what I'm, the reason I accept the Bible as a human and divine word isn't because I can reconstruct a perfect historical artifact called the Bible that fell from heaven. The reason I do that is because I follow Jesus and I receive his teaching as authoritative for my own life and view of the world. And when he looked at this thing called the Hebrew Bible, he viewed it as a unified whole. And then when I go back into the second temple period before Jesus, what I see is, oh, the Hebrew Bible was coming together as a literary unified whole. Like some group of people actually made it that way. Um, and it was a human process that did that through which God spoke. So uh, to me, the textual history, we're just watching the fingerprints of um, the biblical authors and then the post-biblical scribes who kept growing the quilt throughout history. Right. But I'm interested in the form of the quilt that Jesus encountered and um, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm after. This is a whole this is a whole graduate seminar course that I teach. <laughs> here at um, so it's not. I'm trying to boil down something very complex. Of um, course. But but I I don't think if, if you're saying do I lose confidence in a Bible that fell from heaven if I take all this into account? Yes, you do. Yeah. But I don't know why an idea of really biblical in, inspiration the way the Bible defines that idea. I don't know why I would hold a tablet's falling from heaven view in the first place, because that's right. not what the Bible actually claims to, to be Yeah. when you read it on its terms. So the textual history of the Bible, I, as I can understand, like for a Bart Ehrman, is that he has what inspiration and what Christians have to believe is the Bible fell from heaven. The Bible didn't fall from heaven, therefore it's all hogwash. Right. And what I'm trying to say is there's more than just those two extremes 
there's actually a whole world of possibility um, in between those two that I think is actually the most faithful, faithful to how Jesus viewed the Bible and how the Bible presents itself. Oh, so good. Hmm. Tim, you are a freaking awesome. Um, we, we've been going an hour, so we're going to honor, honor your time. Um, although man, there's so much more to talk about. So much to talk about. How (laughs) I know, bro, but but seriously, you, you just are articulate and I, I so appreciate, um, uh, I, I, share a lot of, uh, the same inclinations about approaching the Bible through, through Jesus and, and then submitting as an act of submitting to his authority submitting mm-hmm. to the Bible he held as authoritative. Correct. And that intri- yeah. that gets me into the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew scriptures, mm-hmm. and, and how he would have understood them. So, mm-hmm. I, I, man, I really resonate with that. Um, how do people, mm-hmm. how do you get funded for the Bible Project? Do people support you? I'm, I'm just trying to think of what we can tell our listeners, not yeah. only to go on YouTube, but is there, is there, are there mm-hmm. ways to, well, to help fund yeah, at it? The, at the end of every YouTube video, it'll be uh, me or my, uh, my partner in the Bible Project, John, will we'll say hi to you <laughs> in the comforts of your own home or car or whatever, wherever you're watching it. And then we'll say, we'll give you the web address of our website, which is just thebibleproject.com. And uh, there you find out what videos we're working on currently. And then you'll find out if you want to help us make the videos we're working on currently, there's a place to sign up and donate. But we're a nonprofit, crowdfunded studio. Yeah. So we've got a growing crew of uh, monthly supporters uh, who are helping that. make awesome. it happen. So that's how it happens. It, it's, uh, and that's why we can make it all available for free, which is super fun to make. Uh, to, to, uh, sorry, not for me to make, to <laughs> get a team of high caliber animators and yeah, illustrators no and then have their work be for free, not an expensive DVD set. I love like it. That, so. yeah. I love it. Yeah. So um, are you on Twitter, social media? Where are you at? Uh, I kind of, I technically have a presence. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, on Twitter, it's just my name, but I, I rarely, yeah. I don't know, man, there's too much to do in a day. And, uh, I'd rather play Legos with my son than Amen. be on Twitter. So I don't, I'm not very active, Okay. but uh, All right. yeah. All right. So, so the Bible project.com, uh, Tim, yep. thank you so much for Cheers. being with us today and for, Absolutely. for going, yeah. for going baby. Andy, anything yeah, you want to say? Wrestle that wrestle that guy in the middle of the night just don't ever stop wrestling <laughs> yes yeah. yes you'll yes, never yes. walk away the same amen yeah. yep anything you want to add um yeah man you know kudos to all the work at bible project like i mean literally two weeks ago one of my close friends came to me and was like hey i just watched this video on youtube about job on this thing called the bible project like have you heard of it and i was like i was like oh yeah actually we're we're talking to yeah. one, of the, one of the creators in a couple of weeks and uh, so you know so i i just thought that was cool to see so it great. start to kind of come around in that way knowing we were going to have a conversation with you so uh, i'm excited to share yeah. this conversation with him and um and do that so yeah man you're doing you're doing great work so keep it up yep thanks, thanks buddy man you know you know what's fascinating is um and i'm sorry i do need to go but the job video something happened um uh, it's our number one viewed video. Oh, huh, really? And uh, so our first videos came out uh, th- over three years ago, and Job outpaced them. We only released it nine months ago, and it's now hmm. double outpaced all those videos. Mm. Wow! Wow! There's something with the YouTube algorithm. Yes. That when they see videos getting hits, they just start putting it in front of more people. Yep. And yep. 
people want to know about Job. Isn't that interesting? I think yeah, it's so interesting. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, and it's, it's, yeah. a, it's the primal question. Is God, totally, it, is, yeah. is everything on and, earth and God's I will? I already knew that, but now it's like another, yet another live test case to prove uh, uh, that God and suffering will be a question that never, never stops being a felt issue, even for non-religious people. Because mm. the YouTube comment fade is so antagonistic, so yeah. many angry people. Oh, sure. <laughs> but yeah. people are watching it and thinking about it, so right. that's cool. Right. Oh, I love it, dude. Anyway. Thanks for your time today, Bob. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was nice to re-meet you and to meet you, Andy. <laughs> you too, Tim. Thanks. Dude, that guy is amazing. I mean, again, I, I mean, Bell, Boyd, and Mackie each are theology Bible mm -hmm. geeks. Mm -hmm. and, See, yeah. what, what I imagined is it, that feels like this wonderful, warm conversation I can imagine in my mind on like a rainy kind of day in Portland. Oh, my goodness. You look out the window, and it's just all greenery from trees. Right. So the house is kind of dark because it's midday, right. Right. but it's just this kind of flowing, warm, gentle conversation. Yeah, and he, I mean, it just... I wish you... Yeah, you got to see him because he, he looks the part he's just of, of a gentle thoughtful almost contemplative yeah, poetic right guy i mean it's yeah. it's just it's really but but i love that there's overlap so mm -hmm. between what what rob was saying and what greg is saying and what tim's saying there's overlap and then there's of course divergence and you know for those of us listening and wrestling with the scriptures and how they are authoritative and if they're authoritative and what's this mean we really were hopeful that you would get three different perspectives that um that that help uh, uh in terms of like give you an overview of all the different ways to approach this mm -hmm. here's the key thing though uh that jesus jesus is the is the picture that's that he's the baseline in Tim's language or, you know, in, in Boyd's language, he is the, the revelation that trumps all of our uh, other revelations. The goal of our podcast is always to make Jesus beautiful. And that's not making him beautiful. That's just revealing how beautiful he is, uh, of course. But we uh, we were excited to do this series. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, obviously, we'll we'll do more. I mean, this is like there's so much more to discuss. We could have kept him on for another two hours. Easy. I mean, easy, yeah, easy. So, um, so anyway, give us your feedback on it. We love doing this stuff. We're so grateful for you, uh, for our Patreon supporters that allow us to do this stuff. And um, and so, thank you guys. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give you peace. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, see ya. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.